0: This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, DU has worked to restore, enhance, and protect wetlands to the benefit of wildlife and people. It's a daunting challenge and one our supporters take very seriously because to them, nothing is more important than the outdoors we all cherish, and it all starts in our local chapter events. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org. DU, a proud sponsor of the Lone Star Outdoors show and Sportsman everywhere. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology, because of its similarities, to track mature bucks now it's time to get this analysis into your hands it's military-based intelligence next generation mapping i absolutely love it and i love the people behind spartan forge they're like me second amendment till the day we die no exceptions america first spartan forge check it out by downloading the app today
1: The more you get
0: done, the less you'll regret Write
2: it down so you never forget The harder you work, the luckier you get The far less yeses I have no seen fall
0: less highs Good morning, good morning, good morning Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 630 Of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for dropping by today. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So thanks for dropping by. Uh, We've got a great show lined up for you today. I'll tell you all about it momentarily. But first, uh, what's on my mind? I can't believe it. We finally did it, friends. Paid a hundred bucks to fill up the truck with gasoline. Regular unleaded gasoline this week. A hundred dollars. First time I've ever hit triple digits. Uh so many people to thank and in, uh, in making that dream a reality, most notably uh Joe Biden. There's so many others too, but uh we'll just we'll thank the most important one. Thank you, Joe. Uh never thought we'd see that day, but you made it all happen for us, and and for that we are forever grateful. Uh, how is that affecting people's travel plans this summer? I do wonder about that. And those trips to the deer lease, filling up feeders. I don't. When When is that magic number where people are just like, no, nah, vacation's too expensive, gasoline's too expensive, airline tickets certainly have, you know, they're not immune to that either. Those have gone through the roof. I don't know where that is. Or, or maybe, you know, inflation's so high, I can't afford a deer lease this fall. It absolutely sucks, and that that expendable income that a lot of people spend on their pursuit in the outdoors, hunting and fishing, that's the first thing on the chopping block when it's time to you know tighten up the belt. So we shall see, but it ain't good, that's for sure. A hundred bucks to fill up the truck, unbelievable. Um, as far as today's presentation goes, you know what to do by now. Bolt that stool a little closer, the old campfire pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we will visit with Jesse Dubell. He is the executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Uh, Their bighorn sheep draw and the way that the tags are allotted has been under... Well, it's been under scrutiny for a long time because New Mexico fishing Game keeps screwing up the process. Well, he wants that to be resolved once and for all. And as a non-resident who puts in for New Mexico's bighorn sheep draw every year, um, I find myself invested in the outcome. And what he's proposing, is he trying to screw over the non-resident applicants? Like one of those elitists that think only New Mexicans should be allowed to hunt a bighorn sheep in New Mexico. Well, Hey, guess what? Most of that's on federal land, buddy. So I'm certainly interested to get his take as, as someone of influence in that scene. What are his thoughts and what is the appropriate percentage of tags, you know, across the West that should be set aside for non-resident hunters? I don't have the answers, uh, but I'm looking forward to the conversation. And then, um, We'll spend a little bit of time with our pal Brandon Gleaton of Even Embers. I got a new toy on the back porch. And for the first time, I'm diving into the world of cooking on a flat top griddle. Absolutely love it, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I think you guys will will enjoy it. We'll talk some some cooking, some, some wild game. And then uh, he's very passionate about white-tailed deer. And subsequently, their management as well. Uh, so, some some whitetail discussion coming at you here in just a little bit. That's what's on the docket for today. Um, let's knock out a quick giveaway. I've got uh, I got a lot of Mossberg swag here in the studio: water bottle, cap, and T-shirt from the good folks over at Mossberg Firearms. Just uh, shoot over the word Mossberg. That's Mossberg to Lone Star. Outdoors show at gmail.com and we'll get you entered into today's giveaway. Uh, let's knock out a quick break. Up next, Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation joins us on the Lone Star. Oh, it's been a gambling man, rolling bones with eat a hand. Seven years the promised land early in the morning. Well, where's keeping my
1: dying bed? Tell me where to lay my head. Now with me is all she said.
0: If you're looking to remodel your home, add a deck or arbor to the back patio, redo your fence, or build your dream home from the ground up, look no further than ECR Construction Group. My longtime bow hunting buddy, Josh Brown, is someone you can trust to deliver honest work on time. ECR Construction Group also serves the North Texas area, specializing in roofing, barn dominium builds, painting, and carpentry. So for your next project, call the folks I trust. That's ECR Construction Group at 214-400-1444 or... ECRCG.com. I felt the lights
1: on the big, big stages, a fire burning in my soul. I had those nights where my guitar was
0: raging. It's not something you control, little darling. It's not something you control. One of my favorites there from. Very Whiteley Hubbard bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you as always. Thank you for being here today as we are all set to uh, head over to our neighbor, well if you're a Texan, the land of enchantment, our neighbor to the west, New Mexico, uh, lots to get into regarding their draw system and Jesse Dubell of the uh, New Mexico Wildlife Federation. He's the executive director. He'll be here in just a second. This segment though, brought to you by Stealth Cam and the DS4K Transmit, cellular trail camera, 4K quality video sent right to your cell phone with the uh, command app. And I've got like 14 or 15 Stealth Cams on that app right now. Here's the cool thing. Uh, I'm in the process of moving deer leases, so I I paused them all. So i'm not paying for those data plans right now and they're as cheap as five dollars a month by the way but yeah completely paused all of my trail cameras until i get situated on the new lease which should be here in a couple weeks so no commitment on your end pay month to month and uh, reap the benefits of the best wireless cell camera on the market that's the ds4k transmit from stealth cam well, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest joining us now from the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, Jesse Dubell. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to uh, have this conversation. I appreciate that.
0: My pleasure. So you're a, uh, a lifelong New Mexico resident.
1: That's correct. I was uh, born in New Mexico, raised in New Mexico. I did move away after uh, high school for a couple of years. I'm moved to Colorado for a short stint to do some fly fishing guiding up near Creed, Colorado, and then mm. moved to Southeast Alaska after that. But, um, but New Mexico is where it's at, you know, that's my home and it's where I've found the greatest variety of outdoor opportunity in particular bow hunting opportunity. And so that's why I'm here.
0: Yeah. Well, New Mexico is my favorite, uh, my second favorite state to hunt after Texas, of course. And I've spent, from the time I was 21, I'm about to be, this summer I'll be 41. So 20 years I've been backpacking, which turned in, so it was backpacking and fishing, which turned into fly fishing and grouse hunting, which turned into, oh man, look at all these elk and mule deer. So putting in for big game tags and I've done, I've drawn, I think three uh, elk ta- archery elk tags, one loader, mule deer tag and uh, one muzzleloader uh, rifle tag. Um, and I go every year, whether I, whether I draw a tag or not, I still go backpacking with my dad and brothers, um, in the, uh, in the red river area, I've spent lots of time in the Carson national forest, but, uh, I didn't draw New Mexico this year. So I'm actually going to Wyoming, but, uh, we will be up around, uh, Latere lakes, which I think is owned by Ted Turner, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you can access, is it maybe Trooch's peaks there? up until elk season starts because it's private land and then they're like all right everybody out of here for the elk (laughs) and the
1: the real story coming from that part of new mexico i don't know if you've been paying attention or not is the wildfires you know that whole country's on fire right now i was at Mm. the game commission meeting that we'll probably talk more about today because uh we were discussing the bighorn rule but i was at the game commission meeting on friday which was held in eagle nest new mexico Mm. oh yeah and um the smoke wasn't horrible, but as of this morning, that fire complex—it's the Calf Canyon and Hermit's Peak fire complex. It was two different wildfires that merged together. That fire alone is over three hundred and eighteen thousand acres, oh, um, which is the new record for the state. Unfortunately, down in the Gila, we've got the Black Fire burning, which is two hundred and eighty thousand acres currently, and I think the Black Fire will probably pretty shortly beat the record of that was just set last month by Hermit's peak calf canyon fire so uh, we've got almost we've got just about 800,000 acres of our forest right now that have been burned so far in 2022
0: that's terrible absolutely really is
1: it's kind of kind of tragic but hopefully um, when the monsoon season comes the rains will come light and steady and not super hard and fast when you have the really heavy rain right after a big fire event like that the erosion and it it could become very destructive compared to you know some nice light rain that a lot, that's able to soak into the ground and start the recovering process so we'll we'll see fingers crossed for sure
0: yeah i've i've definitely killed elk with uh with a bow and, and burns uh before and whether it's a year or two after you know uh but elk love that fresh growth uh the grass when the, when everything starts reappearing vegetation um hopefully all of the big trees don't go though
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully some of the old growth is, is going to be resilient enough to -hmm. remain. It's just, you know, it's been so dry. We're in the worst drought we've had in 1200 years. In fact, at my home and I live in the Manzano mountains, you know, 7,000 feet elevation. The last precipitation that was measurable at all was on March 17th on St. Patrick's day. We had a, just a trace of snow, you know, like 16th Mm. of an inch maybe. And that's the last time we've had any precipitation at all here so things situate you know the conditions on the on the ground are are a little bit scary right now
0: yeah well, i hate to hear that um man well so tell us a little bit about the new mexico wildlife federation or the executive director uh what is the organization's fundamental goal and uh you know what are your responsibilities
1: yeah well that's a great question cable and so um the New Mexico Wildlife Federation was founded in 1914 by Aldo Leopold. At that time, it was the New Mexico Game Protective Association, but not too long after it was founded, um, the board decided that, it, you know, really the Wildlife Federation should be supporting all species of wildlife, not just those species that we hunt and fish. And so the, the name was changed to the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Um, prior to joining this organization, I was the president of the United States bow hunters of new mexico as we you know talked about earlier bow hunting is really a strong passion of mine and when i had the opportunity to become the executive director of this organization i put in the application and su- surprisingly they hired me uh and our mission is to protect land water and wildlife for all and and that's mm-hmm. a big the big component of that is all because we do believe heavily in democratic access to publicly owned wildlife we believe heavenly uh, we believe uh, greatly that wildlife and all public trust, natural resources really should be accessible by all people, regardless of, you know, age, race, income level, color, your skin, things like that. So we, we do work in the equity space quite a bit to try to ensure that our opportunities out here are inclusive. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and that's why I wanted to have you on because I've been getting these emails from New Mexico fishing game about the, um, Bighorn situation, and I put in every year for Bighorn, and it cost me like my right arm. I think it's like over three thousand dollars now. That's right. Uh, which New Mexico holds on to that for a couple months, then they they give you everything back when you don't draw because you never do. But uh, they give it like all but like a thirty dollar processing fee or something like that. I'm not sure. I think it's exactly.
1: thirteen dollars for non residents. The application thirteen. fee. I think for non residents yeah. it's thirteen dollars. So yeah.
0: So. the so you get all the money back, but they do hold it for a little bit. Um, but every year I put in thinking, oh, maybe this will be the year. And I've actually uh, on archery elk hunts, uh, and I undersold that. I've actually drawn five times uh, in New Mexico. forgot. But one of those hunts, um, there were guys there where they were doing a tag, uh, had you tags. Uh, so if you wanted to get your bighorn sheep, I guess, if you know your pursuing the super slam or something. There was a good opportunity there and the draw odds were a lot higher. And the ones that were camped out in the basin that we were in, I think there was three of them. All of them were successful on use. Um, but that doesn't appeal to me so much. I want to, I want a bighorn Ram. Sure. Uh, I think most people share that sentiment. Most yeah. hunters. So, but I'm reading all this stuff and, and then you, uh, you see other articles and then there's stink on social media and uh, I want you to explain that situation because, and you can correct me if I'm uh, if I don't have all the facts lined up here. But it seemed to me like there was a group of New Mexico residents that were trying to make it impossible, essentially, for non-residents to draw uh, bighorn sheep tags, or just to do away with that allotment totally, and just say residents only. For me, as a Texan, that gives my three thousand dollars and change willingly every year. That kind of pisses me off because it's federal land, which means I own it as much as a New Mexico resident owns it.
1: Yeah, well, I could understand your frustration. And <clears throat> these these issues get really complicated, but I'm going to try to do my best to be um, succinct so that we don't lose the interest of your listeners here, because mm-hmm. if we get too far into the rabbit holes in the weeds, it gets kind of complicated and hard to follow and a little bit boring even. But uh, I will say that, you know, every American owns the public land in this country and every American owns the public wildlife, although the public trust doctrine is set up in such a way that the wildlife is to be managed for the benefit of the residents of that state so whether or not a non-resident has a tag to pursue wildlife on public lands of course every non-resident is welcome to come and explore and enjoy those lands with that said though i absolutely do not want to see non-residents have zero opportunity to hunt in new mexico the benefit Mm -hmm. that non so when we talk about managing the wildlife for the residents of the state to benefit the residents charging you three thousand plus dollars for a bighorn sheep tag benefits me as a resident of the state because i only pay 160 dollars for the same bighorn tag right right? so there's definitely benefit by providing non-resident hunting opportunity and so we'll dive into that and there's been a lot of misinformation circulating about how the wildlife federation and other organizations and individuals in new mexico their goal is to eliminate non-resident opportunity for bighorn sheep in new mexico and that's mostly incorrect but not entirely and i'll explain i'll kind of explain why i know that sounds like i'm contradicting myself already here in the beginning but are you familiar with the turk injunction cable by chance
0: the turk injunction no i'm not
1: okay well it's a it's appropriate i guess that we're having this conversation with you based in texas because david turk was a texas hunter who like you really loved hunting in new mexico this is back in the 70s -hmm. well david turk filed a lawsuit against the state of new mexico basically saying that it was unconstitutional for the state to discriminate against non-residents so he said you can't charge non-resident what is the claim that he made is that the state could not legally charge non-residents more than residents, and he made mm-hmm. the claim that the state could not dis, uh, could not uh, implement quota laws or a quota, you know, tag quota that would be different for residents than non-residents. That all tags had to be equally available regardless of residency status. So this case went to court, and the court ruled that in fact the state could charge whatever they want to residents and charge whatever they want to non-residents regardless of consistencies or inconsistencies in those amounts. So in fact, the state could legally charge non-residents a lot. Uh, And I
0: support that hundred percent. Like I I think that, I mean, I have the stats here from 2020 uh, gross licenses and tags for New Mexico was at 16 million, 10.5 million of that from non-residents. So two thirds is supporting two thirds of the gross revenue from tags and licenses. And that doesn't even count like, supporting the local archery shop or, you know, the, the restaurants and hotels and the the economic impact from non-resident hunting. Um, but it is substantial. Uh, but again, I would say Texas parks and wildlife should charge non-resident hunters more than residents. I have, that's, that's common across all 50 States. And and it should be that way. I believe.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And and the court agreed as well, but what the court in the Turkey case did not, well, what the, what the court did on fees, we agree with what the court did on tag quotas or tag allocations. Was they they ruled that in fact the Turk um, case was correct and that the state could not change the ratios to be different for residents and non-residents. So after that case in the seventies, mm-hmm. there were only three draw tags in New Mexico at that time. They were bighorn sheep, ibex, and oryx. Those mm-hmm. three draw tags. So the court ruled that the quota, the quota. Stacked the quota distribution well, I was
0: born too late I could have just gone and gotten my elk tag <laughs> yeah, every year
1: well you weren't born too late because here's this is what's interesting that started in in the 70s that that it was equal playing field for residents and non-residents on those three species okay uh-huh. so there wasn't it didn't matter if you're a resident or non-resident you had an equal chance to draw well that interestingly that lasted for a really really long time but in 2005 There was a federal case, okay, so you were already hunting by 2005. Mm -hmm. There was a federal case that said, in fact, the states could discriminate on tag allocations based on residency status. So in 2005, the state was still bighorn sheep, which is, you know, the species we're focused on today, bighorn sheep were still equally available to residents and non-residents in 2005 when when the federal court ruled that the states could discriminate. So New Mexico residents begged our game commission to apply the quota statute. Okay. Which at that time is different than it is today. Today's quota statutes, 84% of our draw tags should go to residents. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. statute 10 of our draw tags are exclusive for individuals who have a contract with an outfitter those could be residents or non-residents and 6 percent of the tags are exclusive to non-residents who are not contracted with an outfitter or your typical do-it-yourself non-resident
0: so the 10 percent could go to a resident or a non-resident
1: sure as yeah, long as you have an outfitter long as you have a contract with and an i'll outfit. be
0: honest i've used that to my advantage to get because there was like a I drew three out of five years for archery elk in a unit where I really liked it and had killed two bulls. The other year I missed one. Um, and I used and the outfitter number each time, had a contract, legal contract with them that back then she could just pack me in and pack me out. Cause I didn't want to guide, you know, yeah, sure. I wanted someone to take me in on a, you know, with pack horses and then pick me up and, and have the flexibility to, if I kill a bull, let me get it to this trail and you know, I'll pay you more if you'll come pack it out for me.
1: Yeah. oh, well, absolutely. I hired an outfitter for my elk hunt last September where mm. I drew a, a f- fantastic tag in unit 16 B, unfortunately that entire unit burned up and all my spots are burned, but, mm. um, But anyway, I hired an outfitter and and it was a pack service, just like you're talking about. I wanted to drop camp. I can't go 19 miles in on my back and expect milk out in September temperatures in New Mexico. I did not apply in the outfitter set aside. I applied as a resident for that particular hunt. My draw odds are better as a resident than they would be applying in the outfitter pool. But on other hunts, there's one hunt. I won't say the specifics of it because I don't want to give away the secrets but there's you want hunt- to
0: go hunting there again
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's a the first a, rule about fight club jesse yeah,
1: that's yeah. right but there's a mule deer hunt in new mexico that even as a resident my draw odds would increase by 25 times if i apply in the outfitter pool compared to applying in the resident pool. So it just depends on the, on the hunt code and we're going to get mm-hmm. into hunt codes later but depending on what hunt code you're looking at um, anyone who spends a lot of time studying draws and things like that they understand these concepts but most of the time residents are going to benefit by applying in the resident pool it's, it's pretty rare that residents get better draws in the outfitter pool but to answer your question yes residents or non-residents can apply in that 10% pool as long mm-hmm. as they have a contract with the outfitter. So so again 84 10 and 6 that's our current tag allocation in 2005 a federal court said the states can apply different tag allocations to residents and non-residents but 2006 the game commission didn't do that it was equal draw for residents and non-residents again in 2007 2008 2009 2010 2011 2012 equal draws for residents and non-residents
0: damn it damn it yeah. I didn't when I, when I was a younger man I didn't have the $3000 to pony up you know, right, so well, I, I feel like I've missed my chance because <laughs> you're gonna tell me well 2013 it all changed, which is about the time that I started applying, probably.
1: <laughs> yeah, your your timing's all off your cable, but that's yeah. but that's what happened. Then in 2012, what happened is there were sixteen desert bighorn sheep tags issued in two thousand twelve. Out of the sixteen tags, fifteen of them went to non residents in New Mexico. Cause you no know sixteen total. 15 out of 16 desert bighorn sheep tags were issued to non-residents in 2012. Um, And that's finally the straw that broke the camel's back that pushed residents over the edge to, to go to the commission and say, okay, enough is enough. You know, we need to apply this quota statute across the board. Bighorn sheep, oryx, and ibex absolutely need to be subjected to the same quota statute as other species in the state, right? And so that's when the quota law happened. But here's what's here's where things get interesting is we have two conflicting statutes. I told you about the quota statute 84, 10, and Mm 6. Okay. But then you have a statute that actually defines the term hunt code, what a hunt code is. It's a specific time frame, it's a specific species, it's a specific weapon type, right? It, yeah. You've applied to New Mexico, you see what the hunt codes look like that and, and you know when you apply bighorn sheep is completely different than every other species you apply for. It's a it's a different process of applying. Because in 2013, when the state finally decided that you know they need to apply the quota lot to sheep, they quickly realized that there are going to be zero tags available to non-residents. Because if you apply hunt code you know, based on its statutory definition, then you don't get an outfitter tag until you hit seven tags in a hunt code. Mm. So you can't give 84% to residents unless you have seven tags, because if you had six and you give one to an outfitter, residents don't get 84%. And that statute's really clear that residents will receive a minimum of 84% of the tags. Okay. So If the term hunt code was applied, as it should be based on its definition in state law, there would be zero Bighorn opportunity for non-residents in this state. Now, the Game Commission recognized that. So what they quickly did is they essentially bastardized the definition of hunt code. They completely disregarded the legal definition of a hunt code, and they lumped together all of the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Rams into just one code and all of the desert bighorn rams into one other coat. That way, there's so many tags that they have enough to distribute to outfitters and to non-residents. What, what really frustrates me personally, and I, you know, again, lifelong New Mexican, but what really frustrates me is when they realized that there was gonna be a problem for non-residents, they immediately found a solution. Like instantly, uh-oh, non-residents aren't gonna draw. We have got to figure out a way to get them some tags where it took them eight years To implement a ruling by a federal court that this tag allocation issue should even be applied to bighorn sheep to begin with. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, but that's where we're at today is that the the game commission completely disobeys the definition of a hunt code in order to provide non-resident hunting opportunity. And what what the position of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation is, and the position of a lot of individuals who, who support and work with the Wildlife Federation, is that we need to fix the statute. We need to go to the state legislature and fix it so there's not two conflicting statutes, because the department's in a really tough spot. They're going to break the law one way or the other. Mm-hmm. They either break the law as it relates to defining the term hunt code, or they break the quota statute. The two just can't play well together. And it, this is going to happen with Gould's turkey as well. You know, we're in the process right now of getting a Gould's turkey hunt because our populations have recovered and yeah. we're looking at moving, you know, their designation from the Endangered Species Act in our state so that we could have hunts. Well, these are going to be, again, five tags, maybe six tags. Until you get to seven tags, the outfitters don't get one. And until you get to 13 tags in a single hunt code, a do-it-yourself non-resident doesn't get one. If that does that make sense
0: yeah okay I still have quite a few more questions as we try to wrap our minds around this without getting lost in the minutia um, you know one being if the status quo is working what's really the problem um, so all that and much more coming up after the break as we continue our discussion um, with Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation that segment. Brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I'd love to encourage you to check us out and, and possibly join our ranks if you're passionate about conservation in North America and globally through sustainable use hunting. Then there's no better organization to support. You can find us at safariclub.org. We'll be right back on the Longstar Star with Outdoor my
1: Show. Brother. We were always on the run We were bad for one another But we were good at having fun
0: tactical skeleton Firearms specializes in custom ar-10 firearms they're best known for their ar-10 308 pistols also dual caliber ar-10 rifle systems and dual caliber ar-15 takedown pistols tactical skeleton specializes in custom and engraving and they'll custom laser cut the foam insert inside your hard gun case they'll also take on any exotic caliber build offered on the ar-10 or ar-15 platform precision machining and hand-built quality guaranteed by a lifetime warranty who does that Get free shipping on your order when you visit TacticalSkeleton.com today. Cable here for Stealth Cam and the DS4K Ultra Trail Camera. Highest quality video on the market, par none. It's 4K. It's incredible. And they've also got an entire lineup of cell cameras as well. You can find it all right there at StealthCam.com. Cable here for Pulsar. If you're looking for that nighttime optic, whether it's a night vision or my preference, thermal, hmm, man, these things have gotten a lot more affordable over the years. Now, of course, it's still a pretty penny, but the working man can get into a thermal, can certainly get into night vision. It's a game changer, and nobody does it better than Pulsar. So if you're ready to light up the night, head over to pulsarnv.com to check out their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics. This is Governor Greg Abbott, and
2: I want to thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You remember third eye and
0: that crackerjack ring. Clothes hanging on a dogwood by that Mississippi spring. And anybody else who's listening won't know what I'm singing about. This is only for you. There's little Mike Ryan bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, We're visiting with Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. He's the executive director over there. And we'll get back into the uh, issue concerning bighorn sheep tags and, and how they are allotted momentarily. This segment, though, Brought to you by the Mossberg 940 Pro semi-auto loading platform. Whether you're pursuing turkey, waterfowl, upland, uh, trap, or skeet, you know, they've got one for each application. It's the new semi-auto loading platform. 1,500 rounds. You can put through it before they say you need to clean it. I love that, by the way. Uh, You can find the 940 Pro at mossberg.com. All right, Jesse, uh, thanks for sticking around Let's start with this question about how many bighorn sheep tags are even available in New Mexico.
1: I think 49 might have been 50, you Mm -hmm. know, so depending on the population is
0: increasing because you you said uh, what year was it where 15 out of 16 went to non-residents? That Yeah,
1: that was in 2012, but that was just for desert bighorns. I don't know the Rocky Mountain bighorns on that, but total desert and Rockies combined, you're looking at roughly 50 tags per year Uh that are issued. And so the the, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, under my leadership – is, is really passionate about getting the legislature to fix this problem. Uh, if you've ever dealt with state legislators, getting legislation done can be really challenging. It can be a, a very difficult process. And what I want to do is I want all the stakeholders to work together to pass a bill that would change the quota statute for species or for hunt codes that have fewer than, say, 10 tags, like, or 13 tags, maybe that's a better number because, um, you know, 13 is the point where both an outfitter and a do it yourself non-resident would receive a tag. I want to change the statute in such a way that bighorn sheep are not subjected to the exact same statute as every other species. Because if we, if we don't do that, non-residents get zero opportunity. Mm-hmm. The problem I'm faced with is the outfitting industry and individuals who, um, advocate or lobby for the outfitting industry are not super eager to change the statute they really like the status quo they like it the way it is and in order to get them motivated to work together to fix this at the state legislature i feel like there has to be there there has to be an incentive and if we were to follow the hunt code as defined in statute all non-resident hunting opportunity would be eliminated and in my opinion that would force that outfitting lobby to go to the legislature to to find a solution. And I would want to be right there with them working on a solution so that we can fix the quota statute so that we can provide non-resident opportunity in an equitable way that doesn't violate the law. Right now Uh we're breaking the law. I just want to find a way to provide opportunity across the board in a way that doesn't break the law.
0: What should the percentage be?
1: You know, uh, I, I think the outfitter pool really makes things more complicated than it should have to be. And as it relates to bighorn sheep, I would be supportive of an 85-15, 85% for residents, 15% for non-residents, whether or not you hire a, an outfitter. And the outfitter industry cable will, will admit that the outfitter set aside really doesn't matter for bighorn sheep because whether you're resident or non-resident, almost everybody who draws one of these Ram tags, which is a once in a lifetime tag. Almost everybody who draws that tag is going to hire an outfitter anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that you need that 10% outfitter set aside to help the outfitters. When it comes to bighorn sheep, if you're spending $3,000 to apply, chances are when you draw, you're going to want to take every advantage of having local expert helping out.
0: So one interesting thing, and I know it seems like there's been a lot of contention with New Mexico outfitters lately, um, I went, I drew a private land guided hunt tag just to, once again, increase my odds. And, um, trifecta outdoors, my buddy, uh, Derek took me up around Chama and he told me, he's like, yeah, I used to be able to guide people over there, but it, it's state land and all the residents threw a fit. And so now non-residents aren't allowed to legally hunt over there. Well, so,
1: uh, which, that, which that's, that's
0: you okay you know i don't i, I was like "Well, oh, that's kind of a bummer but whatever you know uh, there's plenty of federal land well and
1: non-residents can hunt state trust land the land that he must have been pointing to is a wildlife management area so it would have been the humphreys or the sergeant wildlife mm-hmm. management areas and yeah this was an interesting thing this this that all happened in 2011 uh the wildlife federation ran a bill to try to get a 90 10 allocation at that time we're at the 84 10 and 6 now but in 2011 it was 78 percent for residents 12 percent for outfitters and 10 percent for do-it-yourself non-residents so residents were getting 78 percent at a time when most western states are providing their residents with 90 percent of the hunting opportunity so you can understand i'm sure why new mexicans felt like they were being um taken advantage of or you know yeah they were being shut we were we, we felt like tags were being stolen from us and you know, I don't want to get off topic, but those eight years after the federal court reversed the Turk injunction, those eight years it took uh, the state game commission to act, 49 Bighorn Ram tags were issued to non-residents during that eight-year period that would have gone to residents had they implemented the quota statute on Bighorn sheep the, the first year they were able to after the ruling. So mm-hmm. a lot of New Mexico residents feel like non-residents still owe them 49 sheep tags, right? <laughs> and that that's why when, when I was suggesting, Hey, let's follow the, the term hunt code as it's defined in the statute. Yeah. Non-residents are going to have zero opportunity, but it'll only happen for one season, right? Mm. Because that's going to force the outfitters to come to the table and work with the legislature to find a solution. So, you know, I'll, I'll admit that I was advocating to eliminate a hundred percent of non-resident opportunity for one year. And I had reservations about doing that. And I talked to a lot of my members and said, Hey, I, this is not going to go over well. And they said, well, they stole 49 sheep tags the least we could do is have one year of resident only opportunity. Well, it's
0: not like the it's not like the non-residents came to New Mexico and beat down the door and said, We want 70, we yeah. want 20 something percent of your sheep tags. Like hey don't make us to be the bad guys we'll, we'll take what you can what you'll give us right but
1: no you're right cable it, it, it is actually the New Mexico State Game Commission who's at fault I mean you non-residents and outfitters are going to take advantage of the systems that are in place I mean that's this that's what we have that's a system that exists so no fault whatsoever to the non-residents but that's kind of the way that people felt about this issue is like hey they they yeah you know, 49 tags were issued to non-residents when they shouldn't have been, so if we have to go one year where residents get all the opportunities, so be it, but I'd rather not see that happen either, okay, I'd rather not see that happen either, but back to the state wildlife management areas issue, 2011, we were getting 78% of the tags, so the Wildlife Federation ran a bill with, you know, State Senator George Munoz to get 90 and as you can imagine, that was incredibly controversial, There was, you Committee hearings were hardcore, like it was the outfitters and the landowners, and everybody's all up in arms over this thing. And they essentially, the state legislature forced us to compromise. And you had the New Mexico Wildlife Federation advocating and United Boat Hunters of New Mexico. I was the president of UBNM at that time. We were advocating on behalf of resident opportunity the outfitter lobby was advocating like crazy not to lose their set aside that 12% set aside that they had. And the only group that wasn't really properly represented in all these negotiations was a do it yourself, non-resident hunter, right? Uh, they don't have a lobby in New Mexico necessarily. The outfitter industry often says they're the non-resident lobby and they are when it's helpful. But in that case, we all agreed to cut non-residents to 6%. Um, and they cut their outfitter pool from twelve to ten percent, and then our resident pool went from seventy-eight to eighty-four. But the way that they, the, the way that it was determined that this was going to be an agreeable solution is they said, well, you can also have all of the state wildlife management areas exclusive for residents, and you can also have all antlerless elk tags exclusive for residents. Which, which I really struggle with, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of youth tags. That are antlerless and we've got a lot of kids like in el paso texas for example it's a very short ride to the lincoln national forest from el paso and i think it would be fantastic if we had the opportunity to invite some youth from our you know from other states to take advantage of some of our youth encouragement hunts and youth opportunity hunts but because a lot of those elk hunts are antlerless non-residents are ineligible to apply so our system's definitely not perfect uh, but no. when our state game commission is forced to break a law because there's conflicting statutes and no way to satisfy both, I think we need to fix that. And I, I don't know how else to get, um,
0: Oh, well, here's groups- my question or my concern and, and bighorn sheep, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing. You're talking of a handful of non-residents are going to get that tag every year. Probably never going to happen for me. Um, but what if it was, okay, now this year we're going to do it with elk, you know, or with mule deer. Uh, so that, that's my concern. Would, you know, what makes you think that after one year they're going to fix the problem?
1: You mean with bighorn sheep?
0: Yeah, is my, is my question.
1: Well, I think if, if there was no non... Imagine in the 2023 upcoming season, there's zero sheep hunting opportunity for non-residents. Um, I think that the outfitting industry would be doing anything and everything possible to fix that. And I certainly would be as well. I already am, but I don't have any, I don't have any support. So if I take a bill to the legislature in this upcoming 2023 session starts in January of 23, I'm going to have opposition from the outfitting industry because they don't want to change it. The -hmm. only way they'd want to change it is if they didn't like the system the way it was. And so I'm trying to get the commission to make the system so that the outfitters don't like it. And that way the outfitters have incentive to work with me at the state legislature to fix it. But as long as they like it the way it is, you know, that's a powerful lobby. I, it is a very powerful lobby. And I'm doubtful that I can get, or the Federation and our group can get the legislation passed if it has opposition. And mm. if we were to run a bill tomorrow, I guarantee you it has opposition. I mean, Kerry Romero is the president or the executive director of the New Mexico council of outfitters and guides. who's a friend of mine, by the way. I mean, you know, we, we, We're colleagues, we work together, we disagree on some things, and this is one of them. She doesn't like it. So we actually had a meeting a couple of weeks ago with this New Mexico Department of Game and Fish with our chief wildlife biologist served as kind of like the facilitator or the mediator. And we had all of the relevant stakeholders were there, backcountry hunters and anglers, New Mexico Wildlife Federation, the wild sheep, the New Mexico chapter of the Wild Sheep Foundation, the New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides. We were all in the same room trying to come up with a compromise, like trying to figure out how to fix this issue. And, you know, if you're just looking at the tags, it's really weird because the compromise we came up with, a short-term compromise would have moved three tags from the outfitter's pool to the resident side. So we're, we're, I mean, spending countless hours working on an issue that's dealing with just like two or three tags generally, moving around one, two, three tags. But one of the proposals that we actually put forth is let's not change anything about the way the department does it, but let's just put an expiration date on this, What I believe to be illegal action of lumping hunt codes together, taking what is a hunt code and putting them all together in this package and calling that a hunt code. I said, let's keep doing that until we fix the problem legislatively, but let's just put a two year sunset on this, on this lumping process. So that way, we everybody in this room, and of course, the room at the game department, where I mentioned the interested stakeholders, everybody here knows that we have a deadline of two years to fix this. And if we don't fix it by then, the lumping goes away, and that means all non-resident opportunity goes away, and none of us want that. So, so now, we'll, go this ahead.
0: This makes me think of another question. What is so, I mean, obviously, it's violating the law. But is there any other, is there a negative implications from the way that it is being administered right now
1: well there are i think violating the law is a pretty big one i i you know the, the state game commission oversees this Mexico department of game and fish which is a enforcement.
0: yeah but people i mean people violate laws or, or <laughs> you know uh, manipulate something one way or the other to appease if everybody's winning right why does it matter
1: well and i'm just uh, playing the
0: devil's advocate sure here.
1: no no no. That's, that's fine one issue that really die hard sheep hunters care about is the ability to calculate draw odds. You know, the ability to really investigate your probabilities of pulling a tag and making choices in your application strategy that would support the research that you've done. And the way that bighorn lumping works right now, you're completely unable to do that. There is no way possible for you to look at our bighorn hunt codes and figure out draw odds because you're not actually applying for a specific hunt you're applying for one category of hunts and then if you draw that category of hunts you have three choices underneath that and if there's hunts available in your first choice you could be awarded that if not you could be awarded the second choice and so the long story short of it is you you could find the smartest guys at go hunt and it's not possible to um
0: oh i do know the smartest guys over there
1: (laughs) yeah so they could they could probably do a better job of
0: and hunting pool and and, you who's sure uh but yeah i put in for a big one in other states and i could see you know i draw odds and everything else so i like i said i just wanted to know what's what's the negative effects of, of the status quo
1: yeah you know in new mexico our commission has a long history of violating laws. And I've taken it upon myself and the Federation to try to correct that um, culture in the game commission. And and this law wasn't the current game commission didn't create this problem. I mean, they inherited a whole host of problems. But in 2019, the department was doing this thing called roundup tags, they would, whenever a, a tag allocation didn't work out to an even number, they would just round up and create additional tags that weren't Published in the proclamation, they weren't published in the rules and information. Book Hopefully, for non-
0: non-residents,
1: almost always. Well, <laughs> 76 percent of the roundup tags went to non-residents, and and it wasn't the issue of one tag here, one tag here, one tag here is not that big of a deal, but breaking the law is, you know, should be something that we strive not to do. And mm. and this one with bighorn sheep, it's it's totally fixable. All we have to do is rewrite the quota statute to put in a couple sentences. That change the statute when it's applied to hunt codes with fewer than some number of tags. Maybe that number should be 13. Maybe that number should be seven. I don't know. But uh, I want to work with the Council of Outfitters and Guides and, and with non residents and with everybody to come up with something that's fair that we can take to the legislature as a unified voice. We're all on the same page. We show up to the state legislature, say, here's the problem, here's the solution. We all agree on it. It's easy to pass legislation that way. But if if this turns into a fight at the state legislature, the chance of it passing is slim to none. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting stuff, to say the least. Um, we have had a little corruption in my neck of the woods with Texas Parks and Wildlife trying to change a, a whitetail season without any feedback from the hunting community in the three counties where I live, which are the only, uh, well, there's four counties in North Texas that are archery only for whitetail deer. The rest of the state's guns blazing, you know, there's a rifle season starts the first weekend in November and usually runs till mid January. Uh, these four counties are the only ones that don't have rifle seasons. The, the hunters in these communities, it's, I mean, you're talking about Dallas County, like think about is urbanized uh, an area of Texas that exists. We didn't, we didn't have a deer season from the seventies until 2012, because we didn't have any deer. They finally started to come back we implemented archery only season. Texas Parks and Wildlife didn't ask us if we wanted a, I mean I I live in an urban area. There's I don't want guns going off around here. And I'm pro gun like and here's the other thing. If we always had a gun season, I wouldn't be screaming take it away, take it away, you know? I'm not, I'm all for as many hunting rights and as much opportunity as we have. But they came in here because of one high fence ranch in Grayson County, the county just north of me, who couldn't manage their deer that they, they wanted to turn around like they wanted to outfit hunts they couldn't manage their deer herd with archery only equipment and you know money started talking and then next thing you know they're trying to force us into these gun seasons. so we've had to deal with some bs here uh lately as well and i wouldn't say <laughs> texas parks and wildlife has as has, has a long history of that but it's it exists in in state wildlife agencies for
2: sure
1: And I think our Department of Game and Fish generally is a a fantastic department. Always understaffed, always underfunded. Hopefully, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, which is moving through Congress right now, will fix a lot of those problems. But uh, our Department of Game and Fish, I think, is great. The problem with our State Game Commission is that there's no political buffer between the governor and the commission. And you know, the next wild—it's
0: interesting you say that. It was the Game Commission, not Texas Parks and Wildlife, but it was a, a, a individual on the commission board that was like i can get that changed for you talking to the high fence ranch owner that's how yeah. the that whole thing started so that's Absolutely. where the corruption lies
1: <laughs> oh for sure it's 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 in the commission and the new mexico wildlife federation actually created the new mexico state game commission and when we did that it was to keep politics and wildlife separate you know you mm-hmm. can't let politics interfere with wildlife management the, the wildlife problem loses. is that- that's right everybody wildlife loses people lose you know very wealthy you know special interests might get what they want but generally mm-hmm. speaking it's a bad deal and so the problem one of the problems in New Mexico is that the governor can remove a game commissioner at any time without cause so you don't need any justification to be removed from the commission so the the commission ultimately often does whatever the governor wants done and a lot of times what the governor wants done is what the governor's donors want done and that's what creeps into wildlife decisions mm-hmm. in a lot of states this is not yeah. just unique to new mexico but this is but, but the controversy these these decisions and these issues are tough you know right now there's a proposal at the commission to eliminate scopes on muzzle loaders during muzzle loader only seasons and i support it i mean i i support it fully because the muzzle loader season was supposed to be a primitive weapon season and some of these new muzzle loaders, mostly the optics, as you know, especially the optics, I should say, are creating weapons that are capable of making accurate shots out to six, seven hundred yards. And when you're dealing with species like Ibex, um, they're pretty easy to find and super hard to get close to. Well, when you can take a 600 yard shot accurately with a muzzle loader, uh, that increases harvest rates like crazy. Well, as you increase the harvest rate, you have to decrease the opportunity. So. Yeah. You know, our chief wildlife biologist has said that if we keep scopes on muzzleloaders we're gonna they're gonna have to end certain muzzleloader seasons like we're gonna lose muzzleloader seasons on certain species including ibex and, i get it and, as someone uh,
0: who's used a scoped black powder uh, weapon in new mexico to kill a mule deer like then you go to colorado and you can't have that scope on there and i've hunted <laughs> i've hunted mule deer you know with a muzzleloader there too uh i would much prefer to have the the optic on there but i don't have one of those fancy 600 yard muzzleloaders mine shoot like 150 yards 200 yards really pushing it you know like gonna lob it in there and then that's then you're like what's the ethics of that you know really have to i mean i pay a lot more attention really focus more on muzzleloader hunting when i do draw a tag uh, than i do with you know rifle like oh 400 yards boom you know done yeah uh but no the i clean after every two shots clean because i want it to be as consistent as possible but but i agree with you t- on a difficult hunt like an ibex hunt if you can find them easily like you said i don't know i've never drawn that tag and man. You that's, you're missing out at 600 yards
1: yeah ibex is one of the coolest species if you get an opportunity uh you could look up a, a video called i think it's called the rock trayvon mm. Stolzfish. i don't know if you know trayvon mm. um he made that video hunting Ibex down on the Florida mountains, which is one of the most challenging hunts in the world with archery equipment. I mean, it, it's dangerous. It's in the cliffs. It's a tough thing, but I, I also see both sides of the deal. You know, I I'm not like, my well, it brings
0: up the question. Like I'm watching this Matt Walsh, uh, Matt Walsh documentary right now. He just put out called what, what is a woman? <laughs> uh, no one seems to be able to define that. Well, what is a muzzleloader? You know, is it something that can shoot 600 yards or is it like a 200 and in and maybe, some guys really fine tuned with their equipment, three hundred yard shot. But I mean, you're talking about four, or five feet a drop at three hundred yards with a. I mean, I shoot a, a fifty cal with um, uh, what is it? The uh, arrow light? Um, what are those ballistic? Um, you know, the bullets I'm talking about. The
1: uh, yeah, like those sabos that come with the sleeve and all that power belt bullets or whatever. Power they're belt. Called.
0: Yeah, power belts. What I shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean. The amount of drop and then windage I mean that that 300 yards you're really pushing it at, with with that technology that I have at my fingertips that I own with so what yeah. is a muzzle loader I think maybe redefine what a muzzle loader is right like <laughs> yeah and uh, I
1: what it what it is not what a modern-day muzzle loader is not is a primitive weapon I can tell you that and right. so and you know what do you do?
0: you maybe there's two muzzle well, would you say a that a 200 yard loader? shot is a primitive weapon <sighs>
1: man i 150 I, where do you draw the line that's the problem i don't know i don't have the answer because there's guys
0: that will be able to shoot at 150 yards without an optic
1: oh there's guys that will shoot a shoot 120 yards with a bow super no, accurate. not me <laughs>
0: yeah well not
1: me either but there's I, yeah. I promise you there's guys that at 120 yards are going to hit a baseball with an arrow um you know i shoot at sandia crest bow hunters association i shoot 3d leagues and all these things and there's some shooters that are just unbelievable and 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 these these questions come up and the the number one comment we're hearing on the muzzleloader rule is about wound loss oh well if Mm -hmm. you take the scopes off you're gonna have a heck of a lot more wound loss and i kind of feel like well that's on you as a hunter don't take a shot if you're not 100 confident in your ability to make an ethical humane kill when you release that bullet or slug or arrow or Mm -hmm. whatever it is so um but I get it, and I, and I get both sides of the issue. I mean, I, it's not like my way or the highway. I don't claim to have all of the answers. What I do like to do is work together to find solutions, and it's unfortunate that I feel like I have to kind of create some uncomfortability and some dissatisfaction among other stakeholders on the bighorn sheep in order to force some cooperative partnerships so we can work together to find a rule everyone can agree on.
0: Right. Well we will uh so what is the latest like i know there was commission meetings uh this past week where do yeah, we stand it's a, now
1: it's boy this last commission meeting was really interesting so as i mentioned it was an eagle nest i was up there new mexico wild sheep was up there oh, can the you next- hunt
0: eagle's nest lake because i've seen like i want to have driven through there so many times it's just so it's full of geese and ducks and i just want to Oh, I want to go in there. Guns blazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think you can waterfowl hunt on Eagle Nest Lake, but the ice fishing in the wintertime is just unbelievable. Speaking of goose hunting, I went out to Texas to, to panhandle Texas last February, I guess, for a goose hunt. One of the most incredible uh-huh. goose hunts I've ever been on met up with a bunch of firefighters out of Oklahoma that i would never even met before. And we showed up at this farmer's field who gave us permission. And we just had one of the most awesome goose hunts imaginable. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, it was cool, but it's anyway, we're all at the commission meeting and, and just, you know, for context, New Mexico Wild Sheep Foundation was there and they opposed what we're working on. New Mexico Council Outfitters and Guides was there. They opposed what we're working on. The New Mexico Cattle Growers Association was there. They opposed what we're working on, but we all sat together. I mean, we're like mm-hmm. talking in the hallway and drinking coffee and, and it's not, you know, I, I don't want to portray this as a situation where we're having these like, knock down drag out fights we have different opinions we share our opinions with the commissioners we get involved in debates and discussions but it, it's very professional i mean we're we're all professionals and we all care about sheep conservation one thing misinformation that was circulating was that if we got rid of non-resident hunting opportunity that non-residents would boycott the the auction tags that you know the wild sheep foundation sells at their annual banquet or that they would boycott the raffle tag sold by the state chapter and, and i just don't think that's true you know, this is not an issue that affects sheep conservation. The sheep don't care who shoots them resident or non-resident, right? This Mm. is just, this is a social issue, not a scientific issue, but.
0: That should be on a t-shirt. The sheep don't (laughs) care who shoots them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
1: That's, That's funny. So, but we were all there at the game commission meeting and we all said our piece. We all suggested, you know, what we thought the best way forward was. And then one of our commissioners, Commissioner Salazar Henry put forth a compromise proposal that would have done two things it would have taken three tags away from the outfitters and or might have been two from the outfitters and one from the do-it-yourself non-residents I'm not sure exactly but ultimately would have taken three tags that non-residents are getting and moved those tags to residents and then it put a sunset on this program for two years as I mentioned earlier so that it would essentially force us to go to the legislature to get this issue fixed but Uh, We only have four commissioners right now. We're supposed to have seven, uh, but we have three vacancies on the commission. And so the commissioners voted and two voted in favor of the proposal and two voted in opposition of the proposal. And because it's a tie vote, the motion couldn't carry. In other words, it didn't pass. A a tie vote fails. So we still don't have a bighorn sheep rule in place which is which is getting a little bit uncomfortable for me because if we don't get a new bighorn sheep rule in place and voted on and passed by the commission before the end of the year then we will have absolutely zero sheep hunt in 2023 uh if the commission doesn't pass a rule this rulemaking session the hunt disappears for the following year so we have to come up with something for everybody um, for everybody yeah there is no sheep hunting period if we don't have a rule in place that governs sheep hunting Mm. so we've got to come up with something and and something's going to happen at the August commission meeting. I I don't know what it is. Um, The two options that I see are Roberta Salazar Henry. So because we only have four commissioners and we're supposed to have seven, if that's still the case in August, when they vote on the Bighorn rule, the vote's going to have to be unanimous. One commissioner doesn't vote with the other three and the rule, the thing doesn't pass. It's going to have to be unanimous when they vote on this rule. And so Assuming again, that there's still just four commissioners, which is what I expect to be the case. I don't with election season and things, I don't think the governor's focused too much on appointing new commissioners. I could be wrong, but either Roberta Salazar, Henry would have to agree that the way that we do things currently by lumping all the hunts together is acceptable. And she would vote to keep the bighorn sheep process as it is today or one of the two commissioners, the chair, Sharon Salazar-Hickey, or the vice chair, Dina Archuleta, would have to, both of them would have to side with Roberta and say, okay, you're right. Compromise is the best way forward. Let's change this somehow. Let's adopt the, the compromise that you put forth at the uh, meeting in Eagle Nest on June 3rd. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. One of those two things is going to have to happen. You know, I don't think we're going to lose bighorn sheep hunting for a year. I don't think the commission's going to allow that to happen. Um, so it's hard to say for sure.
0: Well, it's certainly interesting to follow along as someone who is in, in, certainly invested in hunting New Mexico and, you know, on a very small scale invested in the bighorn uh, situation, because there's a handful of Western states that I apply for every year. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, this actually could potentially affect me if I ever did get lucky enough to draw one of those once in a lifetime tags, you know, which I fingers crossed put in for every year. <laughs> um, you know. Um, and, and as someone who spends at least a week of my life every year doing something in the outdoors in New Mexico, like I, I love the land of enchantment and, uh, yeah, so I am certainly interested. I appreciate your time. Last question. And, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but there's been a lot of stink about people who championed Deb Haaland. She's from New Mexico. I don't know what her history was there, but she's obviously Secretary of the Interior. I wasn't a fan for the simple aspect of she wouldn't commit to no net loss hunting opportunity when asked by SCI and, and other pro hunting organizations. That really didn't sit well with me. Like, why would you not commit to that? And then we see stuff like in Alaska where they're trying to close uh, tens of millions of acres to not just non resident hunters, but actual Alaskan residents who don't happen to live right there within that area uh so i don't know i what 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 were your thoughts of her uh her appointment and her refusal to make that commitment
1: you know i um I supported the appointment and and I've worked with Deb Holland for a number of years. You know, Secretary Holland previously was in the United States House of Representatives. In May, I think it was May 15th of 2019, she actually invited me to Washington, D.C. to provide a a testimony in front of the House Natural Resources Committee Mm -hmm. about the effects of climate change on outdoor recreation. Where I turkey hunt in the Gila, what's currently on fire, uh, I've been going there every single year first, you know, April 15th is Turkey opener in New Mexico and has been for my entire life. I started going down there when I was 11 and Turkey hunting this unbelievable area. And so I followed the same trailhead, camp in the same spot. It's 12 miles deep into the Aldo Leopold wilderness and take pictures along the way. And I wasn't doing it to document changes to the landscape necessarily. But as it turns out, I guess it's pretty unique for an individual to go to the same place, the same time every single year for, you know, 30 years, that's not something that, that happens often. And so again, it, it was just a, it's a tradition of mine. It's where I absolutely love to spring Turkey hunt. But when when then representative Holland learned that I had this data, the do, the photo documents, the experiences, the, the remembrances, all of these things, she invited me to come testify about how the landscape has changed. And so because of maybe that relationship, my opinion is obviously biased. Mm-hmm. Um, What I can say is that we recently expanded the L bar we did a expansion to the wildlife uh, management area in game management unit nine known as the Marquez wildlife management area that non residents won't get super excited about that because as we talked about earlier, those state wildlife management areas are for residents only, but uh, Secretary Holland was really supportive of that, but one of the questions that she asked, we increased the size of that WMA by 54,000 acres, and one of the things she was concerned about is the the ability to, to hunt in there, and the ability for neighboring tribal members to be able to apply for hunts in there, and when we did the Sabinoso Wilderness Expansion, which was last year, we bought a private ranch, it was called the Hobo Ranch, we needed to create better access into the Sabinoso Wilderness. That wilderness was landlocked for a long time where no members of the public could get into this BLM managed wilderness area, which is kind of near Las Vegas, New Mexico. Uh, Next time you come out to New Mexico, if you get the opportunity, check out the Sabinoso wilderness. And for your listeners, if you want to got a speeding
0: ticket in Las Vegas, (laughs) New Mexico, sure did.
1: Yeah. Well, they see that Texas plate and they just get you, man. Um, But we, we put out a video about, we, we put out a documentary and secretary Holland is featured very much in that documentary. And it's called El Hermoso Sabinoso. For anyone that wants to do a Google search, you can find it. And when the secretary came out to do the ribbon cutting ceremony and to celebrate this wilderness expansion, um, she was mentioning, she was referencing hunting by name, that this is an incredible opportunity for people from all across the country to come and hunt this amazing landscape. Mm. Um, I used to live in Alaska, as I mentioned, I I hunt moose up there. I hunt caribou up there, uh, do it yourself type hunts, but I'm not super familiar with the, you know, the issue that you're discussing. So I can't comment on that specifically. Mm. All I can say is in all the interactions I've had and in all of the times that I've needed support to expand hunting programs with DOI since secretary Holland, um, has, has been, you know, in that leadership role, I've been very impressed, very Mm -hmm. satisfied.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to hear because, uh, you know, I wasn't a fan then. I'm not a fan now, but I figured I'd get a New Mexican's perspective on uh, Secretary Howland. Well, hey, Jesse, I certainly appreciate the conversation today. Uh, so, you know, try not to get lost in the semantics of it too much. I don't think that we did. Hopefully people didn't get tired head listening to it. But I think I think that um, it's important to understand how states manage resident versus non-resident how do they weigh the pros and cons because like we said financially speaking they sure charge us a lot more uh, as they should and so that money is important you know ten and a half million dollars is two-thirds of that revenue so um, certainly an important conversation one worth having and uh, I appreciate your time if you want to give your y'all's website for uh, the New Mexico Wildlife Federation
1: yeah I sure will thank you for for allowing me to do that also cable and thank you for you know, inviting me on because I, whether or not I agree with people on issues, I'm very encouraged every time I see hunters getting involved and standing up for what they believe in and taking action and writing letters and calling legislators and calling commissioners, not enough hunters do that. And, and so again, regardless of where you stand on this issue or any issue, if you care about hunting, if you care about fishing, if you care about these traditions, get involved and make sure that you're advocating for, for them to exist well into the future. We need more of that. If you're interested in following the New Mexico wildlife Federation, you can become a member for free. We have a free membership model. doesn't cost anything. You can go to nmwildlife, like newmexicowildlife.org. We send out monthly newsletters. Um, my information's on the website. You can also uh, email me at jesse, that's J-E-S-S-E, at nmwildlife.org. Uh, if, if you have concerns about the things we're working on, you agree or you don't agree, you just want to talk about it, touch base, complain about it praise me for something that we've accomplished. Whatever it is, you know, I think that dialogue is important. I want to be accessible to folks who care about these issues, again, regardless of what side of the issue you might be on. So yeah, check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff. Uh, But really love hearing from people all across the country and hearing about the issues that matter most to you.
0: Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks again for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll both draw that bighorn tag someday.
1: Well, if you ever need any help or suggestions on ideas or uh, you just want to get together when you're in town, man, give me a ring.
0: We'll do it. All right. Thanks, Cable. So there you have it. The latest on the New Mexico bighorn sheep situation. Uh, Hey, a guy can dream, right? Probably never draw that tag, but damn it, I'm going to keep putting in. And I will say this. While Jesse seems like a nice guy, uh, certainly looking out for New Mexico doesn't do me any favors, right, as a non-resident and we're talking about federal land, Um, even if it was just, hey, we wanna reduce the quota from 84.16 to 85.15, that doesn't do me any good. Like, you're decreasing my odds. Uh, The fact that they wanna do away with an entire season just to change the law? Uh, Well, what if New Mexico enforced the hunt codes per Jesse's uh, wishes? Well, then if there's not seven tags in a hunt code, there wouldn't be one for an outfitter. And if there's not up to 13, then not only does an outfitter not get one, then a non-resident DIY hunter is completely shut out of that hunt code. So, yeah, to me, um, like, he, like he did finish up at the end of the interview there, we'll just have to uh, have these conversations and agree to disagree at the end of the day because, uh, yeah, I'm not down with that uh, on any level. So there's that. Uh, That segment of the show was proudly brought to you by NUMA, geared for the outdoors. If you didn't know this already, take note. NUMA guarantees their outdoor gear, their apparel for life. Think about that. There is nothing that I abuse more than the clothing that I wear, hunting, for sure, backpacking, whatever. I mean, you're crawling around in the most unforgiving places on the face of God's green earth. And they guarantee it for life. Uh, plus, here's the cool thing, 20% off your NUMA order with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out on their website. Uh, coming up next, how about a little wild game cooking on the old flat top and uh, possibly some whitetail discussion as well with Brandon Gleaton of Even Embers on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: Some a dollar bird wine, Lord, I don't know if I'm gonna make it I don't know if I have the strength to take it Everything's hung up in yesterday
0: Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Steak, steak, eat a big old steer Steak,
1: steak, steak. do we have one dear? Beep, 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 it's a mighty good food It's a
0: great A meal we'll when I'm in the mood will come, come from near and far When you throw a few revives on the farm Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone, Lone Star Outdoor Show Presented by Mossberg Firearms Thanks for being here As uh, we're all set to talk a little cooking specifically on a griddle, uh, something that is brand spanking new to me. Man, I'm loving it, by the way. Uh, but before we do that, this segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the brand spanking new Crossfire HD 1400 laser range finder. Awesome little unit, lightweight, compact, and a price tag that won't break the bank. I think it's like MSRP of 269 something like that. Uh, but you can find it for Certainly cheaper at your local sporting good retailer. That's the Crossfire 1400 from Vortex, which you can find at vortexoptics.com. All right. Well, let's head to the back patio. And keep in mind, at the time when we taped this discussion, I'd only cooked one thing on the griddle because I ended up leaving for Hawaii like the day after I got it. So I was eager to start cooking on it. Wanted to have some experience before taping with uh, Brandon Gleaton. Since then I've done steaks. I've done uh venison smash burgers. I did some, um, shoot. What, uh, what was the fish? My buddy brought me. Oh, Wahoo. I did some Wahoo. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Morton for that, by the way. Um, and I think a couple other things. Uh, Did some venison fajitas, and so I've actually racked up quite a few delicious meals on the new griddle. Uh, Joining me now, it's Evan Ember's Brandon Gleaton. Thanks for being
2: here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure, man, my pleasure. Uh, So let's get to know you a little bit before we talk about something that I'm really excited about. Uh, Folks know that I love to cook, especially wild game, and, uh, and that's why you're here today. But um, tell me a little bit about yourself as far as, you know, where you're from and what you like to do as an outdoorsman.
2: Sure, yeah, I know. Um, I grew up here in uh, the Metroplex, went to school in Arlington, went to college down at UT in Austin, Um, have always been an avid outdoorsman, hunter, fisher. Uh, After school, kind of got into a a outdoor um, living segment company that produced grills and uh, landscape lighting, flashlight, spotlights. And so a lot of the things that it, it went well with the things that I love to do personally. Um, and then since then in 2015, I was fortunate enough, uh, to work with Erica, the owner of the company, and she was she brought four of us on board to start a new company. Um, and one of our goals was to work on products that we're passionate about, right? So we've been able to, uh, launch a lot of new products. And mm-hmm. one of the units that you have that we brought over to you and that you've been uh, cooking on. So we're excited to kind of get your feedback and tell more of the story about who we are and what we're about.
0: Cool. And we're going to talk a lot about that unit. Um, uh, but about you though, what do you, what do you like to hunt?
2: Whitetail mainly. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, hunting in the hill country my entire life. Um, and so in the, um, around the Brady area and so whitetail tail, dove, turkey, um, fishing. I love fishing. So, uh, going up to Colorado, fly fishing, um, uh-huh. going striper fishing in Texoma. So anything that gives me an excuse to get outdoors, be it fishing, hunting. Um, that's what I, that's what I live for.
0: Have you done the striper fishing on, uh, with a fly rod?
2: I have not, I've always wanted to, I haven't either, um, but it but looks I, like it's fun, like yeah. as soon as you catch one, I'm sure it's going to take a while to get it in, but, yeah. um, no, I always wanted to, but it's a, it's definitely, um, we always enjoy when we get to go to Texoma.
0: And what about Broken Bow? Have you ever been there?
2: Never have. I've seen your posts you gotta about go it. go there. I know. And I've so had a close. lot of friends. It's yeah. close, and it's, it's... It's a beautiful place. Yeah, and it allows you to escape the heat, too. So it's yeah. a little bit cooler up there. Well, it's
0: the southernmost trout fishery we have in the United States. Really? Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, Broken Bow, probably, that area is too hot for the trout to survive, but... Um, they release them. Beaver's Bend Lake is so deep... The water's so cold, cold, so they just pour it over the dam, and they keep the lower Mountain Fork stream huh. colder. So the trout not only do they live around, but they reproduce there too. Oh wow! They do stock it every two weeks, yeah. but they but they will the, the they trout will spawn yeah. there. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool fishery. You got uh, rainbows and browns.
2: I'll have to go check it out.
0: Although I haven't caught a big brown there yet. So, um, okay. So as far as whitetail. Mm-hmm. Those hill country deer, small body deer, you can get big racks though. Have you shot a nice buck up there? So I guess down there from here. But.
2: Yeah. So we, we, when we bought the ranch. Um, it was in total disarray. It mm-hmm. was overgrazed. Uh, and we take more of a, a management style approach. Uh, so it's my dad um, and my three brothers. And so we kind of, we want to overfeed. So we're, we have, we, Protein feeders go in nonstop, cottonseed feeders, corn in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, we do food plots where we can. Hill Country's a little bit tough to do food plots, but um, we do everything we can to have a buffet of food, basically. Yeah. The first year when we bought it, I think the biggest rack uh, shot on a 7-year-old buck was like 115 inches. Um, That's pretty typical for the pretty Country. Pretty typical, Right. Uh, last year, I was fortunate enough to harvest a 158. Oh wow! Um, and then this year, we had one that was shot. I think it was 156. So nice. we have a couple good ones that are. We'll probably be pushing 165 next year. Uh-huh. So it's kind of we've continued to overfeed, add additional water wells, water troughs, so feed and water constantly, uh-huh. um, and we've seen a massive not only improvement in horns but body size. I mean, we're shooting deer that dress out at 145 pounds now. Whereas in the past, you'd be lucky to have a mature buck. Oh, you at could
0: throw a hill country buck over your shoulder and just easily. walk, walk yeah. around with it. Yeah.
2: So it's been fun to watch. I think we're kind of more gravitated toward that process mm-hmm. of just watching the herd, uh, where it started to where it is today. And so that's when it's cool. When I was telling you about all the mounts at the, at the ranch house, you look at it and you go, this is where we started. And it's just a, it's, it's really cool to see the progress. Yeah.
0: Well, that hard work pays off and, um, uh, food and age structure. Yes. You know, that's, you're seeing the fruits of your labor, but it's hard. You know, when you buy a ranch, you want to, everyone wants to shoot bucks on it. And so you got to have that self-discipline. Absolutely. No,
2: we, we, we always grew up saying five and a half year olds are better. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we started with that process in 2011. And then as we continue to introduce more protein and all these other things that we're putting into the property. We realized, hey, let's take it to six and a half. And then we saw our big bucks jump from five and a half to six and a half. And now our our, our rule is if it's a stud, it's gonna be seven and a half or older. Uh-huh. Um, all the other deer, the coal bucks will start, you know, making decisions around four or five. Uh, but for the most part we try to seven years it's a gamble because you can have, you know, we all know that a, a stud buck can just die for whatever right. reason, but we've only had one in the in the uh, 11 years of fact, we've only had one good buck just die of natural causes huh. So that we found. Yeah.
0: So, um, so I would say the most impressive ranch I've ever been on in Texas is the, the Tecumate, uh, yeah. Cazadores, El Cazadores. And, um, they, so the Bucks of Tecamati was a TV show for a long time. Oh yeah. This family purchased it from a guy, what's his name? Dave, uh, um, Schwartz. Schwartz. Yeah. Well, Gary Schwartz and Dave is the other guy. They were partners. Oh, Morris. Morris, yes, yes, yeah. So um, this family purchased it, and the, the one of the sons reached out to me on Instagram. And was like, "Hey, would you like to come see what we've done with this property?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, I, I know the property from the yeah. TV show." He's like, "Dude, it's it's, it's even totally better yeah. now." And so I went down there, and um, he let me shoot a seven and a half year old, one fifty seven. Just like the biggest free range right, deer I right, ever killed. Exactly. He was like, eh, to be honest with you, my family wouldn't even like. That's just a coal buck, right? And then he shows me a nine-year-old, nine and a half-year-old deer because they have the most intense camera survey. Um, this is all free range. They've got food plots, mm-hmm. but um, he shows me pictures of this nine and a half-year-old buck over the years. They called him Mister Heavy, but unless the deer were like in the one eighties to two hundreds. The family again, not interested. So this deer kind of fell through the cracks. Right. And I'm looking at him at nine and a half, and he's running does. He's in great physical shape because they're feeding and they've mm-hmm. got this awesome management plan. And someone finally shot that deer. He sent me a picture later, and this nine and a half-year-old buck wasn't even very wide, and he went in the 170s. Jeez. Yeah, nine and a half years old. That's insane. Um, yeah. I mean,
2: it's I think that's one of the things you learn is if you can have the right right amount of food, right water. I mean, they can thrive and live for a, a much longer than we ever thought. Right. So.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so what is your favorite wild game to cook with then?
2: Oh man. Um, I would say uh, Neil guy. I mean, oh, yeah. one of my, I haven't shot one, but one of my buddies brought over Neil guy. Um, and it was phenomenal. I mean, I love black buck axis. Mm-hmm. um, elk of course uh buffalo i mean i like it all yeah and whitetail to me is great it's a little bit trickier you can't just you know throw it on the grill you gotta do a little bit more um love to it so right. uh but
0: especially an old ruddy buck oh, yeah. yeah
2: exactly <laughs> a lot of times we because we have to shoot so many deer on our property a lot of times we'll donate a lot uh-huh. of the meat because you can going to take so much so yeah if i can donate the ruddy buck and then keep the doe i'm gonna do that all day long
0: right so. right um You've said earlier you shot a black buck. Do you guys have stuff? We do.
2: We introduced black buck on our place, gosh, probably four years ago. Uh-huh. Um, we, we released two bucks and five does. And it quickly became a problem with the <laughs> amount of black buck that we had. So we had to go on um, a little a, a shooting control. So we're down to, I think we have two does and seven bucks right now. Okay. So, and we've kind of have them to where over the next six, seven years, as long as they continue to stay at that, um, that ratio, we should be able to allow somebody to shoot one every year. Okay, so I shot one last year. Um, I guess right around th- Thanksgiving last year and he was our, the big buck that we, uh, dropped off last four years ago.
0: Okay. So right on. So do you rifle or bow hunt or both?
2: So I, uh, grew up rifle hunting, switched over to bow hunting in high school. Um, I love bow hunting. I feel like I've I've let it uh, slip away uh-huh. just because of time with kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, and which you can relate. Oh, yeah. Uh, so whenever I go down there, I, I used up- to
0: train my own hunting dog. Now someone else does it for, right. for that reason. Exactly. You know, it's just right. like.
2: So I have a feeling when when my son gets to age where he can start shooting a bow, I'll probably get back into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I I did love it. It's just now it's um, the amount of time I can spend out there with sports and all that kind of stuff. It's limited, so I try to maximize my success. Oh,
0: I hear you. Yeah, my favorite thing to do is is um, bow hunt elk in the rut. Yeah, but you know, once rifle season rolls around, I'm the first one to say ah.
2: I right. set my bow over down. here in the corner exactly. if
0: I haven't gotten my target buck yet. Yep. Exactly. Then I feel like I'm cheating on archery, but, you know, at the end of the day, I don't care. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm not too proud.
2: No, I don't blame you.
0: And on that note, let's take our last break here. We'll come back and uh, let's talk about the actual griddle from Even Embers. Uh, that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther. Yeah, they've been taking care of me and all my trophy mounts for a long time, like over a decade. They do amazing work. They answer the phone when I call, and they've got a full staff. That means uh, people are working on skinning and flushing and some are working on painting and all that good stuff. It's, you know, teamwork makes the dream work, uh, so they have relatively fast turnaround time as well. You can find them at gr8mounts.com we'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Was a
1: hero to us all when we were raising cane and swapping sounds.
0: Alright, guys. As we age, stuff starts to hurt. Our joints are inflamed. Nothing seems to work like it used to. That's where cryotherapy comes in. I've been going to cryo and more in McKinney for over a year. It's the fastest way to reduce inflammation and get to the root cause of all that pain. Uh, I feel amazing when I get out of the cryo chamber. And they've got some cool Father's Day uh, specials coming up. $100 for cryo skin facials. That's a $57 savings. And only $30 for a full whole body cryotherapy session. That's my favorite. And that's $10 savings Call 214-892-5334 to schedule your appointment today or head over to cryoinmore.com. Hey guys, Cable here, and last year was a wild year for censorship. It's only continuing in 2022 uh, for us hunters and anglers. So I've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. It's a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Imagine that. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so many more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you get 10 bucks to the store just for trying it out visit downloadgowild.com to get started and I'll see you over there I was born to run, so run I My favorites there from our very own shane smith and the saints runaway train cable smith welcoming everybody back into sci's lone star outdoor show presented by mossberg firearms thank you for being here today we are still visiting with brandon gleaton of even embers about to get into a little flat top cooking and this segment is brought to you by big and j Whitetail attractants um, okay well brandon like i said uh you guys brought over a griddle uh, a couple weeks ago now i think my wife was actually more excited when i told her we were getting one because i have probably three or four grills back right. there from smokers the gas grills never had and never have had um a griddle mm-hmm. i've seen people doing it you know or or i've been in a hunting camp where people sure. are cooking on one yeah. or whatever or watch videos um always was intriguing and then we got hooked up and like I said, Erin was just like, Oh, that's so awesome. She's, and then she's pulling up YouTube videos, watching what people right? do. She's like, you're going to make this yep, and this exactly. and this. Um, yeah. So when did this come about and, and why did you guys see the need to add this to the lineup?
2: Yeah. So one of the, um, I guess, craziest trends in our industry has been pellet and griddles. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when we take a look at launching a new product and when we decided to get into the griddle space this year, we wanted to take a different approach. Uh, there's a lot of competition out there. We didn't want to be a me too. So uh, with all the um, cost issues we're seeing with freight and all that kind of stuff, we kind of took a reverse engineering approach and said, we got to make sure that this unit, when a customer buys it, that it can go UPS, right? Be mm-hmm. under 150 pounds, so it can actually, you're not paying me an arm and a leg to get it there. So that's where we started. And then we said, all right, now let's look at the competition. How do we make it bigger, more offer more control more versatility and so forth so that's where it started um and we start, built this unit to where you know comparing to our competition ours is a 40 inch griddle there's a 36 inch griddle we have five burners most of them out there are four burners and having additional burners and space that just gives you more versatility when cooking so you can cook hot on one side you can cook you know a little bit cooler on the other side griddles will gradually, you know, it's going to disperse heat evenly, Mm -hmm. but the fact that you have more space and more burners, it does offer the ability for more control. Um, one of the things we also wanted to do is we wanted to include a lid with the unit and a lid that protects the griddle, but also one that, uh, can be used for if you're melting, if you're steaming, um, if you're smoking, you can even smoke on a griddle with, uh, wood chips. So, Mm -hmm. uh, it allows that Customer to not have to go buy a a typical griddle and then go buy the other things to, um, you know, piecemeal it together. Uh, And so we partnered with Tractor Supply um, in order to launch the unit. And so it it literally just started hitting stores last week.
0: I spent Um, a lot of money with Tractor Supply. yes, Mostly on corn or, uh, you know, hog panels or everything that you need for a deer lease or ranch is like... Tractor Supply is the the one stop shop.
2: They have everything. Yeah. Their, their deer event when it launches in the uh, late summer, early fall, um, they've got every hunter covered for sure. Yeah. So we were excited. I mean, when we launched, the, when we came up with the product, we went with uh, Tractor Supply. We have a great relationship with them. Um, they sell a lot of our products under our event numbers brand, and so uh, they're excited about it just because with all the rising costs and everything with uh, consumer products, we we're able to hit it a still hit a three forty nine retail. So, oh wow, if you look at the the re you know, the competition. Um, a lot of times they're gonna be retailing anywhere of a comparable unit. I'd say in the three sixty nine to four forty nine range. So we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that we're offering the best quality, best value for that customer um in order to make them, you know, an advocate of the Even Embers brand.
0: Right, right. Well, I got it, I cooked my first meal on it and I did um wild turkey fajitas with like, you know, bell peppers and onions. Um, so I had the fajita meat season going over here, the vegetables going here, and then tortillas on the other side. It was awesome. It was like, instead of having to have three skillets going, you know, it was
2: um, no, it's grimy. game
0: changer. Or or the turkey on the grill outside and then right. doing the vegetables and the, you know, uh, tortillas inside. So...
2: No, it's, it does offer a lot of flexibility uh, when cooking because there's a lot of people that, you know, when they have a traditional gas grill, they'll go buy a grill topper, right? Because they don't want their veggies to fall through. Or if you're doing, you know, some sort of ground meat, you, you're not going to throw it on a, a gas grill. Right. so. Um, and then there's a lot of people that don't want to cook ground meat or whatever, maybe in their kitchen. So, cause some of so they don't like the smell in well, house the
0: ruddy so old buck. Exactly.
2: exactly. <laughs> so it allows that, you know, take it outdoors. And that's what we're all about is how do we take the in-home experience outdoors? Um, just cause we feel like outdoors, you know, circle around a table, family, all mm-hmm. that, you know, we feel like it's just a, it's a great way to gather around and get everybody excited about the product.
0: Yeah. Well, I love it. We're glad to hear. Yeah. So what are some of the other like recipes or things that you've seen people use a griddle for that are, are outside of the box?
2: Oh man. Um, we did a, one, we had a, a local chef do bananas foster, Uh, on it. Um, we've, I mean, you really can do anything you, you would never think a griddle's used for, like I said earlier, smoking or Mm -hmm. even steaming. You can steam crabs on it. You can put wood chips on one side and, and have the burners run on one side and do kind of a indirect cooking to where you can actually have smoke go to the other side of the unit. So, I mean, you, whatever you would like to do. I mean, it, you, the options are endless. Yeah. So with that, and that's the cool thing about the griddles. And it's one of the things that we, one of the things that we'd noticed, um, over the, you know, since we started the company in 2015 and just the, at first when we saw the fad, we we're like, "Yeah, this will probably die out. But then when you start, we started looking at it, understanding, uh, you know, who that customer is, what they're looking for. We, it, we felt like we had to get in the market. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we came into market with the right product at the right time.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel bad, kind of like the bow. Uh, I've got a really nice cast iron skillet that I'm I'm going to be cheating on. Yep, regularly. right. <laughs> yeah,
2: and and that's one of the things where I th- I feel like the people are starting to understand is that whole cast iron skillet cooking. I mean, that's how most steak restaurants use it, right? Right. And so it's the whole ease of it's hard. It's harder to screw up, right? Mm-hmm. When you don't have that direct flame, you don't have to worry about the grease fires and all that kind of stuff that people um, may be accustomed to. So. So yeah, it's the, put a little
0: bacon on the grill and walk away and see how
2: yeah, see right. how you like your steak. Uh, that's that. <laughs> right, exactly. So and that's funny you say that, and that's why we you know when we launched our gas grill lineup, we put glass windows in the lid. We said, all right, let's allow the customers to be able to see what's going outside because mm. at the end of the day, it's a it's a um, a unit that has. Uh, that's putting out flames. And so we want to be, be careful as customers are cooking, especially with fatty meat that they're monitoring the situation because mm-hmm. Like you say if you throw something fatty on there, it, you have massive flames in no time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What wow. about? Um, what about maintenance?
2: So on the griddle itself, um, all we recommend is obviously cleaning. It's got the little um, hole in the side yeah. so You'll rake everything over that you're you, um, That you don't need into that. It'll fall down in the grease cup itself um, We always recommend just a little bit of oil um, just like you do with the cast iron skillet, okay. right? In the sense yeah. that after you clean it, put a little bit of oil on it, keep the burners on, let it continue to season, kind of smoke off a little bit. And then you should be good. Uh-huh. Keep the cover closed. Um, the, the lid closed, yeah. uh, when you have storms, don't like put you, soap on it. Right? Don't put soap. Right. No. So just um, water, wa- just exactly. Just water. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you have storms, like we did this past week, it's not going to, I mean, you're going to get water on it. Yeah. So whenever that happens, you see there's tutorials. Um, some griddles, uh, do get rusty over time if they're not taken care of, but that's when we just recommend just, you know, do, do some soap, not sorry, not soap and water, just do some oil, um, in order to, uh, treat it just like you do a cast iron skillet.
0: Okay. Right on. One other thing I've, I've, I have seen a lot of videos of is people cooking breakfast on it. Uh, I think that's going to be a, become a, a weekend tradition around here.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's the cool thing about the griddles is you kind of have the breakfast, lunch, and dinner covered, mm-hmm. right? In the past, grills have been used for dinner. Um, but the, fa- the fact that you can throw pancakes, sausage, eggs, um, hash browns, and you have a huge griddle to where you can do everything at once. And yeah. you keep those smells outside outside of the house. Um, but then you can fire up for all meals. And that's one of the things that we're seeing ever since COVID happened was people are grilling more often, right? They are, you know, they have multiple grills in their backyard. In the past, they just had a traditional gas grill. Now right. they have gas grill pellet smoker griddle, just like you have now, yeah. right? So it does allow you the ability to cook any meal you want any time of day, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
0: Well, like I said, uh, I've enjoyed it in the brief time that I've had it, uh, looking forward to many more awesome meals, uh, for friends and family. And, um, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up with, uh, where, first of all, where can folks find you guys?
2: Sure. Uh, you can, our website is even embers.com. Um, mm. and our social media channels, you can look on Instagram and Facebook uh, for even embers and this particular griddle that you're going to be cooking on, um, is can be found at tractor supply. Um, uh, it's both in, it's in select stores, but also on tractor com.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, one other cool thing. Um, uh, Morgan's in here with us today as well. And she said you guys have like a, um, like a, I don't know what the, what are they called like the standing heating units that you would see in a oh, restaurant yes. yeah. so I don't have one but I thought that was pretty cool and it's a pe- is it a pellet one it's a, it's a pellet heater yes okay. and so
2: when when it gets cooler which we're months and months away from <laughs> right. that right we just left that right. although so, this was a nice uh, cold front yeah, we had it was. this week last week was, or this past week was great um we'll have to get you one of those so that it's a what we wanted to do when we got into that space is again when we when we introduce a product we're not going to be a me too company and yeah. just go after price um so we looked at how do we use a, a, a resource that's cheaper than propane? Um, but also how do we make it to where a heater heats, uh, more efficiently than a traditional propane heater? So it is a pellet fueled heater that heats from the ground up, right? Cause we all know heat rises. Mm-hmm. So whenever people are surrounded around the propane heater, everybody's just putting their hands up, trying to get their face and their hands warm. So this heats from the ground up. So, you know, we tell people you, you feel it from your nose to your toes. Uh-huh. Um, And it's also got three glass panels to where uh, you can have it as a functional heater, but also if you just want that campfire ambiance, more of like a fire feature, you have that option as well.
0: Okay. so Cool. Well, folks can check that out as well. Uh, Last thing, bucket list hunts for you. I don't know if you've traveled or... or... Africa for
2: sure. Okay. Um, And I'm working with some buddies trying to make that work for in 2023 or 2024. Okay. That, and I also want to go elk hunting. So you got to get it outside of the state of Texas. Right.
0: Well, I have the I have date booked for next May, 2023, uh, with John X Safari, so if you guys are uh, yeah, interested. <laughs> I, I, I follow you, so yeah.
2: it, every time you go over there, it, it, it definitely it pushes me to want to get there quicker.
0: Well, we'll have to sort that out. Uh, Brandon, thanks so much for dropping by the studio, man. Absolutely. Thank and, you. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, posting some great content, food, cooking on the uh, the new griddle. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. So there you have it. Brandon Gleaton of Even Ember's... Um, gosh, I'm not kidding. I've, I'm cheating on my other grills and smokers right now because I love this thing, and actually, uh, gotta go, gotta get out of here because I've got some black bear sausage, some eggs, some hash browns, making a late brunch for the kiddos and wifey, coming up here in just a minute. So thanks to Brandon, thanks to our other guest today, Jesse Dubel of uh, the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part. Of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, you all have a great week in the outdoors.
1: Trying to fit a square block in a round hole. Heart of darkness facing a thousand bloodshot eyes. We'll